this morning, I'm really looking forward to looking at an amazing moment in the Bible. As Steve said, we've been looking at the life of David. There are certain prayers in the Bible that changed everything. That once that person prayed that prayer, it changed everything. Like this is the kind of impact that prayer can have. That someone at some point prayed something and the world was never the same from that point on. That is the kind of impact. And there are prayers in the Bible that are like that. You think of the prayer of Daniel, for example. Uh, the prayer of Abraham. Today, we're gonna look at the prayer of David. It's a big prayer. David's gonna pray something that something would be the case forever. It's a big prayer. Lord, that this would be the case forever. And since David prayed that prayer, everything changed forever. And not only are these prayers important moments, not only did they, they change the reality of the world afterwards, but actually the prayers themselves are demonstrations of what has actually changed. That might sound a little abstract. The, the very way that these people pray indicate, hang on, there's something different going on here. So like, for example, in the ancient world, people prayed all the time, all different, you know, in all different sorts of ways, they prayed to various gods. Now, mostly, people prayed to distant, very disinterested deities out there somewhere. I feel like sometimes we pray to God like he's one of those deities. A distant, disinterested deity out there somewhere who might answer, but there's no real assurance that he will. There's a great, it was a great quote in a, a book that I read by Stephen Fry, actually, you may have seen it around, it's called Mythos. And it's a book about all the stories about the Greek gods. And Stephen Fry says at one point, towards the end of the book, he says, if you worship these gods, you could never be assured that they really even cared about you. I mean, if they cared about you, it was because they maybe saw something in you that they could use, not for your good, but for their good. And you could never rely on them. That's what he said. They, they were always like fits of passion and these, these uh, sort of terrible characters, sort of classic example of gods made in the image of man rather than man made in the image of God. You could never rely on, that's, that's a very common feature of how, what prayer looks like in the ancient world. I did a little survey, I dug up, you know, like a collection of ancient prayers and, and, and that's what the prayers in the ancient world prayed to the various ancient Near Eastern gods look, out, look like. I'm praying to some distant deity out there somewhere who I don't think really cares about me and, and there's only a very vague chance that they'll listen to me. Like if I offer enough sacrifice, if they think, if they see something in me maybe that they can use opportunistically. Now one of the things that we hear again and again in the Bible is that God does, He never wants to be confused with those gods. God is jealous for his name and his glory. Don't ever treat me like that, God says. Please, because I'm not like that. Another 
common approach in the ancient world was the idea that you had some kind of magic, some magic formula. It's like the, the, the gold spiritual credit card. You know, you had some totem or uh, some amulet, some magic power, some incantation that could, you know, that could bring about a certain reality. That, that's a, that was another very uh, common approach to prayer, you know. And that's a little bit like that approach that says, if only I have enough faith, then I can poof, make it happen like magic, right? So I've got I've to do this, right? I've got to try and drum up enough faith. Have you ever heard of that one? Well, that's a common one as well. That's just, that's human beings, you know, doing their jumbled up stuff. And again, God says, don't treat me like this because I have created a new reality that begins with a new kind of relationship with me, God is saying. And what we see in the Bible remarkably, and we see this in the Psalms most of all, because uh, David, of course, is the exemplary prayer. And many of his, we have more of the prayers of David than of anyone else, because of course, we have the book of Psalms. Many of the Psalms are prayers of David. And I can tell you that the Psalms don't look anything like ancient Near Eastern prayers. There is something remarkable, something utterly counter-cultural for its day. And you think, what is different? What is the, something's happened here. That's right, something happened. I'll tell you what happened. God came to us and made a commitment, an amazing commitment to us. Ultimately, through Jesus Christ, God came to us and reconciled us to him as his children. He paid for our guilt in Jesus Christ, made us right, reinstated us as children of God. That's what happened. And that completely changes reality. And it's really important when we approach God I actually cannot stay, overstate the importance of this. It is so important that we approach God in a way that is consistent with how he has revealed himself to us. God is saying, don't treat me like this. Honour me by taking me at my word. Honour me by approaching me in the way that I have revealed yourself, myself to you. Otherwise, we dishonour God by treating him like one of those deities. Now this also doesn't mean that we, you know, that God just gives us the, um, you know, he's the indulgent parent that just gives us the gold credit card and just go knock yourself out. Off you go, go on a spending spree. No, the promises of God all relate to God's purpose. You don't want anything that doesn't align with God's purpose for me, for you, believe me. The best thing for you is exactly what God's purpose is. It's, it's like when our kids say, I want this, and as parents we say, no, you don't. You know my story about the wasabi peas that I told at some point. Dad, I want one of those. No, you don't. No, I want one of those. No, you don't. No, I do want one of those. Okay, there you go. And that didn't end well. All right. God knows what we want. He knows what we need. 
because he's a good father. And he insists on giving us what is best. So the promises of God all relate to God's purpose. It's not just a gold credit card. So let's just be reminded of what God's purpose is, because this is actually really important context for this prayer. We're gonna look just very briefly, remind ourselves of the promise that God made to David, and then the prayer that David prays in response. This, looking at this has been so impactful for me, and I reckon it will be for you too. God's purpose, as I said last week, is all about family. He's building his family. God gave everything in Jesus Christ so that all of his prodigal sons and daughters could come home and become part of one family. God wants to be known in the context of family. God wants to be known as a father. And so therefore, God wants to be known in the context of family. A father doesn't look like a father if they have no family, do they? And because God wants to be known as a good, good father, as the song goes, then God has chosen to inhabit family. That's why God's purpose begins with him going to Abraham, saying, hey, Abraham, I'm gonna bless your family. I'm gonna inhabit your family. That's why there's so many genealogies in the Bible. Because it's all about family, like at first literal family, and God is, as I said last week, God is committed to our literal families. But the ultimate purpose was a bigger spiritual family. And you know, that actually goes deeper. Spiritual connection goes deeper. They say, blood is thicker than water. You know that saying, blood is thicker than water. It's a way of indicating that familial family, uh, you know, genetic or whatever connection is deeper than any other form of relationship. Yes, blood is thicker than water, but spirit is weightier than blood. We share a spiritual connection. Listen, I may not be at your Christmas lunch. I mean, you can invite me if you want, but I may not be at your Christmas lunch with your family, but we share together in the table of our Lord. We share in the table of our Lord and that goes deeper. That is a deep, deep connection. And that is the kind of family that God wants to create. That is the kind of family within which God wants to be known. Where the family is, God says, I'll be present there. Where my family is, I'll be present because that's how I wanna be known, God says. And this is really what the promise to David is all about. Second Samuel chapter seven, let's just look at this. This is from verse 11. And this is God saying, I'm gonna build, this, remember the double meaning, I talked about this last week, the double meaning of house in that time, as it often is in this case, house means household. When we speak of our household, we're talking about our family, aren't we? Well, God wants to dwell in a house, but not a physical building. He wants to dwell in a household. That's the temple of God, a family, because he wants to be a father. I know I'm repeating myself, but this really matters for what I'm gonna say in a moment. So this is the promise that God gives to David. 
that is going to elicit an, an amazing prayer from him. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, a house. He's talking about a family. In fact, he's talking about an eternal family that's gonna last forever, a spiritual family. Ultimately, that is gonna be worldwide. More than that, a family in which God himself will be incarnate in Jesus Christ. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Wow, this is gonna be a family that carries authority in the world. He is the one who will build a house for my name in both senses of the word. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. So, because those whom I love I discipline, says the Lord. So he goes on, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure, how long? Forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's a long time. An eternal family tree. See, David wanted to build God a house so that God would dwell with them. But God says, uses this occasion to say, that, yeah, we're gonna do that. But he's using this occasion to teach David something very important. I don't dwell in buildings, I dwell in family. So where the family is, there is God's presence. And so the church becomes the house of God in this double sense, the habitation of God. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. With the double meaning of that word. You are being built into a family that God promises to inhabit. Now let's look at David's prayer in response to this. Very important point here to recognise about prayer. This, this point alone will change the way that you pray. When you pray to God, you need to recognise you didn't start the conversation. Prayer is always a response to God who has already started the conversation. That's why a great thing to do if you can't get your prayer life going is open the Word of God where you left off and respond to what you're reading in prayer. Because as Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message. Faith is born... Faith-filled prayer, that's the prayer that's different to those other pagan notions of prayer that I talked about. The prayer of faith that God wants comes 
when it's a response to something that God already just said. So God says something to David and then we see David's response. And here it is, 2 Samuel chapter 7 from verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. He's gonna continually refer to himself as a servant. He's not... Um, He's not, this is not self-degradation in the sense of denying his sonship. It is a very standard um, expression that, that demonstrates a willingness to obey. That's, that's what this expression. Um, in fact, it says it 10 times throughout this prayer. This prayer is amazingly structured, actually. Uh, 10 times, your servant, your servant, your servant, relating to 10 commandments, relating to 10 times in the book of Genesis chapter one when, when God said, and God said, and God said 10 times. And it's interesting actually to notice the word Elohim, God, is used seven times, the number of perfection. And then the word um, uh, Adonai Yahweh, sovereign Lord, is also used seven times in this prayer. Now these are literary indicators. This is the lecturer coming out in me. Sorry, just a, just a moment. These are literary indicators in the Hebrew text that tell us something amazing is happening right now. They created these forms of elevated text to say something amazing is happening right now. Something that's gonna change everything. David's prayer of faith is gonna change everything. All right, where was I? Okay, verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. There's the purpose of God, right? According to your will, your purpose, and you have revealed it. How great are you, sovereign Lord? This is the first thing he does. And this is what will grow this faith, is the act of celebration. That's the first thing. Give thanks and celebrate what God has done and what God has said. Celebrate it. How great are you, Lord? We, we sing that song. Did you sing it this morning or? Oh, because we, we actually, we sang that over at Moab, but that's okay. We're all, we'll get there one day. How great are you, Lord? Sovereign Lord, I should say. There is no one like you. We sing that too, don't we? And there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel? This is the family thing again. Who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that, went out, that, that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out the nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. Lord, Thank you that you have made us into your family. That's what he's saying. You have adopted us as your family. Now look at what happens. Verse 25. And now, Lord God, 
Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. David says, Lord, keep your promise. Why? So that your family will be built so that you will be known the way that you want to be known. How does God want to be known? As a good father. How is God known as a good father? By being good to a family. Lord, if you do this, David says, if you truly will adopt us as your family forever, and as we enjoy your goodness, Lord, you will be known as a good father. And that is exactly God's purpose. And David prays this. And he goes on, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So, get this, so your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Faith comes from hearing the message. What sort of courage is he talking about here? He's talking about the boldness of faith. The kind of boldness that children have when they come to their parents. That's what God wants because God wants to be our father. So he says, will you please treat me like I am your father? I mean, you know, respectfully and all of the rest, but with boldness. You have revealed this to your servant, so I have found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now he exercises that faith by praying for what God just promised. Sovereign Lord, he says in verse 28, you are God, your covenant is trustworthy. Hey, that sounds like faith, doesn't it? You are God and your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised to do these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Man, that sounds like faith. You have spoken. This is this boldness here. You have spoken. And when you bless us, we will be blessed forever. Lord, do what you have promised. Bless us forever. It's a big prayer, forever. Any prayer with forever is a big prayer. But he finds boldness here. It's interesting. I don't know if you ever, if it ever occurred to you that this is kind of strange. God promises something. Says, I'm gonna give you this, David. And then David asks for the thing that God just promised. And if you gave me a gift and said, hey, Matt, uh, I've got the, I bought this for you, right? Let's say Steve did that. And I said, oh, and then, I, and then in response, I said, oh, Steve, can I, please, can I please have that? Can I have that thing that you... It's like, mate, I just gave it to you. What are you asking me for the very thing that I just gave to you? What's going on here? 
David asks for the very thing that God promised, and here's why. Because the, what God is most interested in, this brings us back to the purpose of God, and this is a point I really want you to get today. This is why the promises of God aren't just automatic. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna bless you, and then suddenly we're automatically blessed, right? Wherever we go, everything we touch turns to gold. <laughs> it doesn't, that doesn't happen automatically. Why is it through prayer? Like, why do we have to pray? And God does tell us to pray according to his will for the thing that he promised. Why do we need to do that? And I'll tell you why. Because the main thing that God wants is not just that we would get good stuff. The main thing that God wants, that's what I said before, is a family of children. And the reason God gives us promises is so that we will start to develop a faith boldness to approach Him as a father. The promises are designed to instill this very kind of confidence. Okay, I'm giving you my promises. I'm revealing you my purpose, just like He did to David. Now, let's hear you. And I'm doing this not just so that you get good stuff, not just so that you get new things, but that you start to act differently. So you start to become a new kind of person, you see. That's what the promises. They're meant to instill faith because faith comes from hearing the message. And the thing that God wants most is the faith, like a child. Now come on, treat me like a father. That's why I gave you these promises. How good is that? This is explicitly what Jesus teaches us about when he teaches us about prayer. Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, and when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, <laughs> please. Jesus says, don't treat me like that. When you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It's not about incantations, incessant begging. It's not about giving God a shopping list. He knows what you need. What He wants is to change the way that you relate to Him. That's why he reveals his word and his promise to you so that you begin to act differently. And so see how the first part of the Lord's prayer that follows from that statement of Jesus, let's just remind ourselves of what this says. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Celebration of who God is. May your name be known. May it be known who you are. That's what that's saying. May your name be known. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, do what you said you would do. And then in the same block of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And, the one, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus goes on and he says, listen, which of you, 
If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see what Jesus is saying? Don't treat God in any other way. Honour God by the way that you approach Him. Do you, do you really think that God is worse than you? Right. Trust that He is a good Father and approach Him like that. Honour God with your prayer. Treat me, God says. Approach me in accordance with who I am. Don't treat me like some distant, disinterested deity. I want you to come like a child with the confidence of faith. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. John chapter five, verse 14. This is actually one John, sorry. One John 5.14, the letter of John. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he, and we know, and if he, sorry, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. This is exactly the confidence that is expressed when David says in 2 Samuel 7, 27, Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray. So your servant has found courage. I know there, there, is, there will definitely be something right now that is burdening you. That you need to bring to God. And maybe you are inclined to stand out on the street, you know, uh, stand out on the footpath and sort of look through the window of God's house, you know, like spiritually speaking, and say, Lord, out there, in there, somewhere, Lord, I really need help with this. And God says, yeah, I, I wanna help you, but I'm not gonna talk to you like this. Let's, let's talk about that, for sure, God says, let's talk about that. But I want you to come in through the fence and walk up the path and I want you to walk through the door and I want you to sit at my family table. Because there is only one way, God says, that I want to have this conversation with you and it's seated at the family table. Father to son, father to daughter. That's how I want to have the conversation. And then we sit at that table and we take those things that we wanna see happen, those things that God's promised, and we put it on the table. And let me tell you, you won't know yourself when you pray seated up at the table of God. We're gonna need more faith, aren't we? We're gonna need more faith. And there is a place at the table of God with your name on it and God is saying to you, don't pray to me from out there on the footpath. 
Don't pray to me like, you're, like it's across a shopping counter and you're giving me a shopping list. Like, no, no, that's not how I want to relate to you. I'm not the shopkeeper. I'm not the genie that takes the things off the shelf and hands them over. Not across a counter. Don't relate to me as though it's across a desk like I'm your bank manager. No, I want you to sit at the family table. I want you to talk to me at the family table. This, by the way, is why family prayer is the best kind of prayer. This is why God loves it when we agree together and we all come before God and say, Lord, but you said that you would. Lord, you promised this. Man, this is the Psalms, you got it. It's a, this is the amazing thing about the Psalms, is the boldness in these Psalms. When they feel like things aren't turning out the way that God promised, they come before God and they say, but God, you said. But Lord, you said you would. Lord, for the sake of your purpose, for the sake of your glory, Lord, answer, act, Lord. Oh man, there's a boldness. And sometimes, and this is a very common feature of the Psalms, that by the way, you don't see in any other kind of prayer in the ancient world. There are points where they pray that and then they just start praising God. Like, oh man, it's done. <laughs> God's coming through for me. Because the main point isn't what you get, the main point is where you sit. It's like the psalmist is appealing to the promises of God and it's like in the process, it's like the psalmist's faith is pulling himself up into that seat and seated at the table. And, and there comes this moment where he says, wow, I'm seated at the table of God. You have set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I think we need that kind of faith. Family faith. That's what God is calling us to. I want you to stand. We're gonna share communion together. Is that, we, we are, yes we are, uh, thank you. I just had to check. <laughs> but we are two weeks in a row, my goodness me. Two weeks in a row with the COVID cups. Just to remind us that, <laughs> just to remind us that it's not about the, uh, the thing, it's about what it means. There is a seat at the table of God with your name on it. Maybe you just, maybe, I don't know, maybe you wandered in here today for the first time. I got a surprise for you. I got good news for you. It wasn't by accident that you ended up in this place. Because you've come into a family and your name is on one of the places at the table. Your name is at a place at the table. And the reason why we do this, the reason why we make this gesture of eating and drinking is to say, yes, I will participate in this meal, in this communion, in this conversation. I will take my seat at the table. I will share in the supper of the Lord and take my place as a child of God. 
And this very, these very symbols actually symbolise the promise that Jesus makes to us. The cup that represents the shed blood of Jesus and the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus. It's a symbol of what He has done for us so that all of the promises of God may be yes in His Name. So what is it that you need to bring to the table? What is it that you need? Maybe it's actually just yourself that you need to bring to the table. Maybe it's just yourself. Maybe for the first time, you need to take your seat at the table. I want us to take a moment. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Let's just close our eyes. For the sake of those who need to pray this prayer for the first time, I want us all to repeat after me, please. Father in heaven, thank You for what You have done for me. I receive forgiveness. I take my seat at the table. Help me to live for You. Help me to be a child of God. I dedicate my life for You forever. Amen. Amen. Some of you have things that you need to bring to the table. There are needs that you need to bring to the table. There are things maybe that you've been praying about, things that have been burdening you and maybe you've been standing out on the footpath. I wonder if that's you. And God says, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to help you with that. But first, you need to come and sit at my table. And we're going to do that right now with the bread and the cup. So I'm going to give you a few moments to open this thing. All right, let's work on this. There's a plastic thing at the top and you peel it off first. All right, here we go. I'll give you a few moments with that because it's not easy. good time at the table, yeah? All right. Let's eat and drink together and say yes to Jesus and receive the promise. I should have mentioned in case you didn't get one of these when you walked in. Uh, I think uh, we have some ushers uh, around. Um, I might, Annette's up the back. If you didn't during this worship song, I encourage you to. Uh, sorry, I should have said that before. Listen, in response, we're going to use this. So oh, hi. Sorry. <laughs> I actually did not notice that you guys came up. I have this thing. I have this focus thing where I, I, at the afternoon service, it was interesting. Uh, yes, it was a great time at the afternoon service. And we had all of these kids up the front and there was like craft stuff all over the place. And I did not notice a thing the whole time. 
I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's the one where my kids say, Dad, 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 Dad. Thankfully, God's not like that. He always hears us, hey? So let's respond together by celebrating. Like David, let's celebrate who God is. Thanks for leading us, guys. Cheers.